0: hi everyone i am lisa jane lewis and joining me here is rachel say hello rachel hello hello uh, you are listening to episode one of when the rainbow appears um, i'm gonna assume that you've heard the trailer and you know what we're doing um so this is a six-part um lgbt theology type uh podcast bible study call it what you will thought process Whatever it is. Before we get cracking on episode one, Rach, do you want to take us through what the different episodes are going to be so that people know what's coming at them?
1: Yeah. So the first one is a little lighter on the theology than the others because we want to talk about stories and the importance of our stories with God and also make sure that we understand what the words mean that we're going to use when we talk about stuff because if you don't understand them, that's quite confusing. Then episodes two and three will go through the clobber texts, first of all, in the Hebrew scriptures and then in the New Testament. Episode four is about uh, the creation order. Um, Lots of people think that the way God created the world is the way that everything should work. And I've explored some ideas around that. Episode five is about gender identity and gender roles which of course is more applicable for trans and non-binary people, but not just trans and non-binary people. And then episode six is a kind of all the bits that didn't fit in any other categories. So looking at other queer people we find in the Bible and the whole flow of scripture and where we fit into God's great big narrative of saving the world. Excellent. We should say, so
0: episode three is the one that has an explicit warning on it, isn't it? Uh, yes.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, so sure your children are at school or in bed or somewhere else at
0: that point absolutely and i mean yeah probably i'm not gonna want anyone that young to be around while you're listening to this although there's nothing too crazy in it um but yeah we did have to put an explicit warning on one of them you'll understand why ancient rome it isn't our fault no it's all it's all to do with the ancient romans um but
1: there we go <laughs> cool so right shall we
0: crack on and look at
1: episode one But I think it's important to start with stories. So if I can ask you, Lisa, have you got a story that is significant for you on your faith journey? Can you tell us about something that was important? It could be why you're a Christian or why you're still a Christian or just something that's happened that has made God real to you. I ask myself every day why I'm still
0: a Christian, I have to say. Um, Do you want one that's like to do with my sexuality and coming out and all that kind of stuff? Not necessarily. Okay. All right, let's pick um, something that was quite um, informative to me, maybe at the beginning of my ministry career. So I'd been a Christian um, since I was 14, but I'd been a churchgoer since birth almost, you know, I've been sort of went through Sunday schools and that at a, you know, pretty conservative evangelical church in uh, Surrey where I grew up. Um, And I had sort of gotten on the track of of going into full-time ministry and i had just started a job in uh, boston in america i was living in in massachusetts i just started a job in boston with the salvation army uh right when 9-11 happened uh in goodness at the world trade center um which of course is 20 years ago this year and if you're listening to this in the future then hello future people but anyway it's 20 years this year uh since the attacks on the world trade center and um I, i rather sort of randomly and I'm not entirely sure how it happened but being a new member of staff in the Savage Army that happened and they needed people to go and work on site at the World Trade Center so off I went with my you know sort of very new and you know sort of highly polished bible and you know I'm going to be a minister kind of person and not only did I end up at ground zero um, at the World Trade Center I was then on the chaplaincy team and having to do things that chaplains, with a lot more training and experience than i had you know were doing and it was i really feel like it was a defining kind of moment in my faith because i stood one day i was on the night shift and one of the days when we were off we went up the empire state building and from the top of the empire state building you could obviously see just the action that was going on in lower Manhattan. And um, I just remember sitting up there on the benches, um, like in sleepless in Seattle um, and thinking, I've got to make a decision about my faith here. It just it really felt like there was a real question of faith. That was a very solid, like, are you with this God thing or not? because of everything you've seen and experienced and are working on right now you know this is this is an opportunity to decide whether you're going to stick with it or not and and I definitely decided in that moment that I that I was I felt like that was a really you'll know this phrase you know this Celtic thing about thin places for me, the top of the Empire State Building is quite a thin place between the spiritual and the physical realm, and I really kind of felt God up there um, as I was looking down over the site of the World Trade Center, and that kind of set me off on a course of ministry. It's taken me in very different directions than I expected it to, um, but yeah, now well, here I am on this little team with the gathering space in two twenty three and. 223 and one body, one faith, all this kind of stuff I do. It's not how I pictured it going, but that was kind of the thing that started me off on this journey of ministry and having a more serious faith than I'd had before. That was very
1: waffly, sorry. <laughs> what was it that made you choose faith in that moment? Can you put your finger on it? No, I can't. I, I, And I've been asked that before. Uh, before, actually
0: when people have said you know why did you go that way and not the other and the the answer is I don't know I can't say oh it was definitely this or it was definitely that but it it just felt right Mm. and it felt like actually being on site at the World Trade Center was the most right place that I had ever been in my life before yeah and, you know, I had done mission trips. I had done the whole mission thing to Africa, you know, as you do when you're in the church youth group and you go to Uganda and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That, that was great. And I loved it and I loved Uganda and I loved, you know, like my friends with the church I went with, but the most right thing that I ever did up to that point was working as a chaplain in horrific situations at Ground Zero. Because where else would Jesus be? well exactly mm. exactly and you know it wasn't easy clearly um and it's it's left me with you know a bit of ptsd and you know things like that but uh, if it happened again tomorrow goodness you know i hope and pray that it doesn't but what wi- wild horses wouldn't be able to keep me away from
1: that yeah. like <laughs> no i get that wow well, that story makes mine look even more nothingy. Than no, I I, I said I wish no, I had. Some... I, lo- I like that mine's nothingy. <laughs> I grew up in the sort of church where if you didn't have a testimony of having been a drug dealer or a murderer, your testimony wasn't important. But actually, I've <laughs> kind of gone the other way now, and like, if if God's kept you from all of that stuff, and you know, and you've had a perfectly normal life, but you know, God's been in your life. That's what really, really matters. So, like, what? my significant moments were kind of weird because it happened in the Toronto Blessing Days. You remember that with everybody falling oh, yeah. over and barking like dogs and all that. And we're showing our age now, right? I know, mate. It's <laughs> we're, we're thoroughly middle-aged and there's no way around it. <laughs> no. um, but like for so many people, they had like life-changing amazing moments where miraculous and strange things happened. But honestly, I spent most of that being really bored because whoever prayed for me, nothing happened. I never fell over. I never did any weird stuff at all. And, I just spent most of the time moving chairs out of the way and catching people and playing the piano, Um, which was, you know, it was fine, but it was getting a bit annoying that everything seemed to be happening to everybody else and kind of one time when it was all coming to an end I was at this meeting and it was it was an all right meeting and I was putting the chairs away at the end as usual I think and the chap who'd been the speaker in the meeting just came over to me and put his hands on my head and said god bless you that was all it was it was nothing amazing at all but it was like a switch flicked in my head and I knew from that moment that god loved me totally and unconditionally and I didn't fall over or cry or you know do anything obvious at all but something in the way I thought about myself changed in that moment and I really I had no idea at the time how much I was going to need it because going through all you know the next decades of coming out and coming to terms with myself and really difficult conversations with church leaders and people telling you you can't be a Christian and all of those things actually the one thing I've needed as a life belt to hold on to was knowing that God loved me. And that's never been a thing that was in question, however bad the situations with churches have been and whatever's happened in between. And that was really important. So why are we telling stories? I mean, mine is honestly, it's going to seem like nothing to anybody else, but it was my anchor. And... That's why our stories matter so much because, you know, you can tell me that that was a nothing and nothing happened and it was all psychological and it was psychosomatic and all of those things could be true, but it's still been the thing that's held me solid and that stopped me from falling apart in all the things that have happened. And your stories are like that for you. However much somebody tells you that didn't happen, you know those encounters you've had with God and you know those, that evidence and that testimony of God's work in your life. And we need to hold on to our stories as we're beginning to explore issues that are frankly a little bit scary if you're still on the evangelical side of not really being scared to question the Bible because you're worried you're going to go to hell if you do. That's the point at which you need to hold on to those stories of God's work in your life because God has loved you and God has been in your life up to now and God is not going to let you go. And you need to hold on to those stories. Because when it comes down to it, it says in Revelation 12 that the overcomers were saved by they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony so the word of your testimony is your knowledge of what God's done in your life up to now and the blood of the lamb is Jesus because actually this is quite surprising to me when I realized this that i would spent a lot of my life thinking I was saved by being right but actually I'm saved by Jesus And we know we're such, we're evangelicals, we preach about Jesus and the cross and the resurrection so much, but then we value ourselves by whether we can tick all the statements on the evangelical alliances statement of belief, rather than actually trusting in Jesus to save us. Mm. And in the end, if Jesus has saved me, then it's all about Jesus being right, not about me being right. And I can let go and relax a little bit and not be quite so terrified that the God who loves me is going to send me to hell.
0: Yeah, I I think I i think that's a really important point i'm going to quote you know the, the sainted nick page who we're both friends and fans of um i remember listening to his podcast and they was they were talking about the bible and how how we sometimes treat bible study and bible like you know, looking at the bible as like open heart surgery one false move with the scalpel yeah and that's it you're, you're dead but actually exactly. it it's not like that at all we are allowed to and supposed to get in there Mm. and
1: question it aren't we yes totally and that's particularly important because i think when we start looking at what is actually in the bible we find so much liberation and so much freedom in it Mm. for example you know the story of the man born blind who jesus heals in john chapter nine yeah i do i do so i'll read the bit of the story for it yeah there we go so they brought to the pharisees the man who'd been blind now the day on which jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the sabbath so the pharisees also asked him how he received his sight he put mud on my eyes the man replied and i washed and now i see some of the pharisees said this man is not from god for he does not keep the sabbath but others asked how can a sinner perform such signs so they were divided then they turned again to the blind man what have you to say about him it was your eyes he opened the man replied he's a prophet They still did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one who you say say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And then they asked him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already, and he did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And they hurled insults at him and said, you're this fellow's disciple we are disciples of Moses, we know God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from, the man answered, now that is remarkable, you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes, we know that God does not listen to sinners, he listens to the godly person who does his will, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing, to this replied, he was steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us, and they threw him out. And the reason I just read this story a few months ago and I suddenly realized that I have seen this happen before because in this story you've got a man whose story doesn't fit the narrative back at the beginning of the chapter before Jesus heals him this is the one where the disciples ask him Lord who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind and Jesus just rejects that narrative completely and heals the man so that the works of God may be displayed in him it wasn't about him being a sinner it wasn't about his parents being a sinner but when he tells his story to the religious folks they can't hear what he's saying because it doesn't fit their idea of what the work of God ought to look like it doesn't keep the rules they think are important it doesn't fit the narrative that they're trying to present so what do they do they interrogate his family background they accuse his parents of lying or because they can't believe that the work of God would look like this and this started to sound really really familiar because I've lost track of the amount of LGBT Christians who come into the gathering space or who I meet somewhere else who tell me the story of their meetings with their evangelical church leaders and it goes exactly like this We go in and we tell our stories. We say, look, God has done this. This is what God has said about who I am. And if it doesn't match the story that they expect, they get really narky about it. And then they start interrogating our parents and trying to find out if it was, you know, dodgy parenting or absent fathers or overprotective mothers or whatever that caused us to be gay. You know, if you've been sexually abused, that must be the reason. Have you lost count of the amount of people who've been sexually abused in this world who are not gay? (laughs) You know, none of us have perfect parents, but there is no relationship whatsoever between any sort of dodgy parenting and people being gay. And there are many gay people who have absolutely wonderful parents who did a brilliant job and everything that could have been expected of them. There's no relationship whatsoever. But just like the religious folks in this story, they then start trying to dismantle your family relationships and tell you something must be broken because that must be the reason, because they can't believe the work of God would look like this. when he he refuses to change his story to match their expectations that this is a really interesting one then that's when they insult him and they become angry and they throw him out and try and reinforce the old narrative that his state was caused by sin even though jesus said at the beginning of the story specifically that it wasn't and this is a thing i really noticed like when we were when we were young back in the olden days I don't remember that far back but go no you don't turn. remember that at all but it was like <laughs> before you knew that anybody thought different or back you know back in the 80s when it was section 28 in schools yeah so none of us were taught about gay people gay people were in private they didn't come out they weren't public in their identity for the most part at all it's really easy for a pastor to stand at the front of the church and say gay people are all really sad and they're all you know abandoned by God and they have miserable lives so this is why you must not be gay you must be straight because if people were gay they couldn't tell you about it and if they were happy they weren't on the media so you couldn't see it and in those days a pastor tells you that and of course you believe it these days to be honest it's a lot harder to believe that because now you've got evidence of gay people trans people bi people who are out who are partnered who are happy who are healthy who aren't all dying of aids and it's a lot more difficult now to impose that narrative on people because it's obviously not true and that's when a lot of people then start questioning isn't it you know when they have colleagues or family or friends who are gay or trans or bi and start going wait a minute this doesn't fit what you're talking about isn't the way it is it's not right yeah
0: no absolutely i had that a little bit myself you know you mentioned there people who are um, gay. I mean, I, I'm i bisexual, and we'll talk about that in a, in a minute as well. But, like, I like I have a great relationship with my parents. I always have done. My yeah. parents are brilliant. I love them to bits. They love me. There is nothing broken in our relationship, and there never was. Yeah. So, Absolutely. like... Uh, and even if
1: there was, it wouldn't necessarily be, be because you were bi.
0: No, exactly. Absolutely. Or, and it certainly didn't make me, no. you know, question my sexuality and become not straight.
1: Yeah, totally, but that's it. So, and it's it's an interesting thing that, you know, church leaders have moved from the sort of point of saying that if you're gay, you're going to hell, to being very sort of kind and welcoming but you have to live this particular way and not tell anybody anything about it and we'll be happy and these days they tend to be very welcoming to LGBT people who appear broken and struggling and crying in the corner and coming forward for a ministry time because they're so unhappy but they have absolutely no idea what to do with us when we're secure in the love of God and living in the power of the Holy Spirit mm, and that more true? and more I'm seeing that's the point at which they become angry and defensive they tend starting to resort to insults Insults and lies which is like really surprises me coming from evangelicals who've always been very moral people you know but i've come across a number of cases recently where when they when they can't handle healthy lgbt people challenging their narrative they resort to insults and lies and throw people out just like in the story in the bible so if any of that's happened to you i'm really sorry it hurts but at least we can find some refuge in knowing that just because your story is inconvenient doesn't make it wrong and Jesus understands what it's like to be trying to tell your story to a bunch of people who just don't get it because sometimes people of faith can't hear our stories because their view of God is not big enough yet mm, that's so true and sometimes we don't even value our own stories because our view of God is still very small but fortunately that can change because God's story continues and we continue to grow and discover more of God absolutely absolutely Anyway, we'll come back more to the Bible. We're going to look, so just as a, as a view ahead, we'll look at the Old Testament clobber texts next week and the New Testament the week after. Um, but for now, can we have a look at some definitions so that we're all on the same page?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's get the acronyms out, shall we? <laughs> All right. Let, well, let's start with the, the the four letters that probably are the most familiar, which is the LGBT. Let's start with G, gay. What what does what does gay mean, Rachel? Feel like I do know <laughs> well, the, I feel the like I do you know lost, the answer to yeah. that one, but you know, what do you think it means?
1: the reason we're doing this is because different people say different things yeah that's true the meaning of gay in society in general is referring to someone who is attracted to the same sex as themselves most commonly used the most common word for men but also used by quite a lot of women interestingly if you ask a christian person what they usually mean when they say the word gay is someone who is actually having gay sex So that's an important thing to realise, because when a Christian is then judging someone for being gay, they may think they're judging someone for actually having gay sex, whereas you think they're judging someone for just being attracted to someone. And it's quite important to know the difference there. We'll we'll, we'll we'll come on to that we'll explore that but yes guess. there is a christian assumption that if you are gay you are you are completely controlled by your lusts and cannot stop yourself from having rampant gay sex at every opportunity <laughs> i'm sure this is true of some people I I'm say, it's a but i'm not sure, majority I'm, of people i think it's probably not
0: no absolutely i think you're right i think i think it's actually become a bit of a meaning for promiscuous sex yeah rather than like loving monogamous yes you know a uh, committed relationship kind of absolutely. stuff yeah it's become a it's bit lazy of lazy usage and
1: yeah. you know have an opinion that's fine don't be lazy with your words let's get it right
0: yeah absolutely and yeah, yeah you said there it's generally spoken about men isn't it but some women use the word gay I don't yeah, mind the word we'll gay. gay I don't mind no I don't mind being uh, like called gay that doesn't bother me but no And lesbian,
1: of course, parallel, exactly. So come on to the next one. Christians are concerned using women, specifically meaning women who are attracted to women. But again, if it's being used by a Christian, check that they're not assuming that means you are having sex with every woman who comes within your orbit. No. I was going
0: to say say chance would be a fine (laughs) thing, but...
1: (laughs) After go. 15 months of lockdown, I you know <laughs> I'm I'm softening up here. Carry on. <laughs> oh, right, let's let's do the B now. I think this one might be
0: less well understood. B in the acronym stands for bisexual, but there's a bit more that goes into it. So, I think what this you is your area? There?
1: You should do this one.
0: I don't know, I was going to say, I'm intrigued to hear what you you have to say about what bisexual is.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, what I've got written down here um, is someone who's experienced attraction to both their own sex and another. And it's important to say the percentages aren't important. Some people experience attraction to different sexes roughly equally. Others might be nearly everybody they fell in love with in their life was a woman. But there was one man who just happened to be that person that they fell in love with one time or the other way around, of course
0: yeah cool uh, I, I i don't disagree with that sorry oh, yes, to dis- sorry to
1: disappoint you
0: <laughs> but let well let's bring pansexual into this as well because yes, point. like I, I i really identify as pansexual and and that is a broad definition of bisexual but when when you use the word bi it kind of denotes that a belief in two genders bi male and female and when we talk about pansexuality it means that We're just increasing that attraction to any person, regardless of their gender, their gender identity, their gender expression, and that actually you could be
1: Attracted to anyone,
0: no so basically, if
1: somebody's trans or non-binary really? or has some different definition of gender, you're deliberately including them as potential yeah. people you might fall in love with if the chemistry worked that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that anyone who who chooses to use the word bisexual is denying that, like trans and non-binary world as well. Some people just prefer to use it, and I will say, I generally when I'm speaking outside of the LGBT community. I generally use the word bisexual because it's got a bit more of an understanding than pansexual, but when I'm, when I'm speaking in here, then I absolutely would identify as, I think it's a, I think the, the Wikipedia page about me, just dropped that in there. Um, <laughs> I think that says that I'm pansexual. I'm not sure, I don't know. <laughs>
1: And of course, if you're working on the Christian definition that gay and lesbian means that you are having sex all the time, the word bisexual to that particular sort of Christian would mean that you're having sex with everybody all the time, which is yes. why you have that horrific sentence in um, issues in human sexuality that all vicars have to agree to before they're ordained, that, sa- that basically says bisexuals are having it off with everybody and it's an ungodly lifestyle. It's, I can't remember the exact phrasing of it, but it is hideous completely wow. inaccurate
0: welcome to my ungodly lifestyle with my iced coffee and my nice flat
1: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> another important thing to say that in christian circles sometimes yeah. people use the word healed when what they really mean is bisexual yeah culture, that's true in the sentence all my life i've been a gay man but then i prayed and met my wife and i'm now healed Yes. healed would mean someone who doesn't experience same-sex attraction anymore um but as multiple failed ex-gay ministries have proved that doesn't really happen um if you have experienced attraction to men all your life and then you met your wife and were attracted to her and married her and still experience attraction to men that makes you bisexual which is lovely i'm not criticizing anybody in that situation at all enjoy your lovely life but don't pretend you're healed when you're not so there we go Anyway, should we crack on with the gender identity ones? Yes, let's. write T. The T. We're still in the LGBT. T is transgender. Rach, give us a Okay, it. so this is basically somebody whose gender was incorrectly assigned at birth. So baby is born, midwife picks up baby and goes, ooh boy or ooh girl, and they assign a gender to that baby. And as the child grow up, grows up, if their gender matches what midwife says, then we call that being cisgender, and if the child grows up and realize their gender doesn't match the one the midwife said, then we call that being transgender. Brilliant, fantastic definition.
0: I'm just gonna throw in here a, just a tiny, tiny word about drag as well, because obviously that's really mainstream and is very much seen as a part of the LGBTQ community particularly gay men, most, most drag artists are gay men, but not all of them are. So, I would just kind of want to say don't always assume that any drag queen you see on RuPaul or anything else, you know, don't assume that that, that person is identifies as a gay man because they may well be straight. I've known a few straight drag queens well, in my time. I'd, um, I'd,
1: yeah, I'd make the case that don't assume anybody about, don't, don't assume anything about anybody who's doing drag because drag is a performance art, not an identity. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And the person
1: inside the drag could be gay, they could be straight, they could be trans, they could be anything.
0: Absolutely.
1: Their performance identity, their performance persona is not the same thing as the person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Good. I just wanted to kind of include that while we're talking about this whole uh, gender thing. Uh, right. Let's go on to some of the letters that are, have been added and people are getting <laughs> a bit confused by them. Let's start with the Q. What does the Q
1: mean, Rach? Well, Q can either be in questioning or queer. Um, questioning uh, is obvious. You don't need to explain that. Um, queer is an interesting one. I think there's a massive age differential on people who use the word queer. Um, if you talk to particularly older men, sort of 50 plus, they tend to have a viscerally strong reaction against the word queer because it's one mm. of the words that was used against them in the days when you got arrested or beaten up for being gay, and they really, really hate it being used. On the other hand, if you talk to people under 30, it's the most common word they do use mainly because people under 30 keep inventing new labels for things and <laughs> even they've lost track of them so they tend to want to put them all under one big umbrella of queer which works really well for them but you just have to be a little bit careful about using it casually because as i say there's an older generation who find it quite distressing yeah it's it's just best to be
0: led by the person if they themselves yeah. identify themselves as queer but i would never use it about somebody without checking that you know, unless I knew that they used it about themselves.
1: Yeah, so that's oh. the Q. Right, what's then the I other... then? Now, I is intersex. Yes. Now this is an identity that sometimes does and sometimes doesn't fit neatly under the LGBT umbrella. So intersex conditions are the physical side of gender variation. So this is where the midwife picks up the baby and goes, I have no idea what that is. Um, So not always, sometimes it could be external physical difference, sometimes it could be um, chromosomes, sometimes it could be internal sexual organs having some variance. So for example, you might have indeterminate genitals, you can't tell whether the baby is a boy or a girl, or they might have characteristics of both male and female. Others might have internal organs that don't match their external ones, like having a penis and ovaries, or vagina and testes. Yeah. So, sometimes there's a mismatch at chromosome level for people who are, for some people who appear female externally but have XY chromosomes and don't necessarily discover that until either puberty hits in an unusual way or doesn't hit, or people start trying to have babies and can't. And that's the point at which a doctor might look and do scans and analysis and go, oh, wait a minute, something here is different to what we expected. About 3% of the population have some sort of an intersex condition. But this might be higher because, of course, you only find out about it if something appears to be going wrong. And if you're not trying to have babies or, you know, you're happy with how things worked out, you might never know. Um, That's a good point. I never thought about that. Yeah. So it's almost definitely higher. And it's about the same population as the worldwide population of redheads. So it's not really that uncommon. You definitely know somebody who's got an intersex condition. They may not know it or they may not have told you because it's not something that society is very comfortable with at all. Um, traditionally children with obvious external differences would be given surgeries at a very young age without their consent or understanding and a gender would be assigned to them and of course sometimes that would be incorrectly assigned so those children when they grow up may then identify as trans because the gender that was given to them by these surgeries wasn't the one that they identified with but others don't and they can find it offensive so again check with the person if they identify with that or not and of course some intersex people could be gay or bi or pan just like anyone else An interesting point from a faith perspective is that some Christians who hold to a very strong view on gender roles and gender binaries cannot handle the existence of intersex folks. Even though this is a thing where there are literal photos and scans on their medical records, they try and pretend they don't exist. They speak about it as though people have made a choice and need to repent, and as if you can repent of being born with the sexual organs you're born with. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Right,
0: exactly. That would be like me trying to repent of being born with green eyes. Exactly,
1: exactly. (laughs) And this, I think, shows particularly their lack of reality and of compassion. It's a useful indicator about whether someone's reaction is really about theology or whether it's just prejudice against difference. Because at that point, if you're reacting against a baby who is born the way they're born and saying that they've sinned, then I'm sorry, you need to rethink your interpretation of scripture because that's just silly. Let's um, let's have a look at the A then. Oh, so A is asexual. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm interested why ace people feel particularly they want to be included under the LGBT umbrella because it's more about not being attracted to people in a sexual way, (laughs) which when you're talking about a group of people that fundamentally identify by the people they're attracted to is an interesting choice. Can you shed some light on that?
0: Well, funnily enough, yes I can, because a friend just posted on Facebook a couple of days ago about this very issue. She identifies as asexual, but had always felt like she wasn't really allowed to belong to the LGBTQ community. And she felt like she was kind of stepping on toes when she would do things like go to Pride or whatever. And you know what it is? I think it's because there is this feeling and this sense of just being other. Mm. You are not a straight, cisgendered person. Yeah. Therefore, society has no accommodation for you. Yeah. So the next best thing, if you like, is the LGBT. Q plus community because that tends to be, although not always, but tends to be more welcoming and more inclusive of people that just are other yeah. to what society has deemed to be the norm. We so are the big I young think...
1: color who welcome everybody that gets chucked out by yeah heterositive... Yeah. So if they feel like their
0: their asexuality is queer in the old-fashioned yeah. sense of the word then you know come on in we meet Absolutely. on thursdays you know <laughs> um, <laughs> if if <laughs> give your expenses to barbara in accounts a friend of mine wrote that um if they feel like their asexuality doesn't set them apart and they don't feel like they need to be part of this community and they can crack on with their life and be just as happy without then great crack on
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. So, one that isn't in the um, LGBTQIA section is non-binary people, which is important to say. This is people who don't feel they fit into either male or female categories, or who move between them. And this kind of links back to the intersex thing, because non-binary is not currently a legally recognised identity in the UK or Ireland, which is why midwives have to pick a gender when they get a baby out. So there's a fairly serious campaign going on to try and stop that at the moment so that kids who are born with intersex conditions can have their um, gender identity legally recorded as we have no idea yet, Um, we're gonna wait and see what happens, which would of course give space for non-binary adults also to have Mm -hmm. legally recognized non-binary identities. It can cause a lot of discomfort, for example, when people have to use official documentation for a passport or a criminal records check. But with increasing numbers of young people identifying as non binary and positive changes in the treatment of intersex children, it looks inevitable that this will eventually change. Cool. Great. Right, go on then. Let's do Christian ones. Uh, Christian ones then. Okay. The gay
0: lifestyle. Gay lifestyle. How's your gay
1: lifestyle? My gay lifestyle is, well, it's kind of boring at the moment because my bubble burst at work yesterday, so I'm stuck at home for the next 10 days. (laughs) This is the thing that basically is impose your prejudice upon this word and call it whatever you want. So you can have six people in a room talking about the gay lifestyle and they all mean completely different things. Some people mean having gay sex, for which lifestyle is a bizarre choice of words as few people spend that much time on it, really. Um, Others mean a party lifestyle of promiscuous sex, drugs and alcohol. To be fair, I know more straight people who do that than gay ones, but, you know, there's some gay ones too. For most people in Christian world, it's kind of vague, non-specific label that doesn't really mean anything more than something a bit icky. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: We don't really like it, but we don't know what it is. We don't know
1: what it is. And this is the sense I had growing up in Christian world because nobody ever talked about it you know, I wasn't in the sort of church that was Bible thumping and telling gay people they were going to hell, but there was just this vague sense that there was something kind of icky and nasty about it. So when I grew up and met gay people and discovered those feelings in myself, I didn't recognize it. because so I was like, "But well, it's supposed to be icky and this isn't. So what is it?
0: Yeah, it, no, it's th- confusing. No, I think you're right. I, I mean, I grew up in a church, I was saying in the beginning, I grew up in a church, pretty conservative evangelical church in the era of the AIDS crisis in the mm-hmm. sort of late 80s the death of Freddie Mercury when people talked about the gay lifestyle at my church which to be fair they didn't talk about it that often but when they did they meant, it was, they, they meant Freddie Mercury dying of AIDS yeah, yeah exactly that. Yeah.
1: So along with this goes it's best friend same-sex attracted
0: yay we love that phrase we should put a trigger warning on
1: that so this this goes in ha- hand in hand with the alternative meaning of gay and lesbian because if gay and lesbian means someone who's actually doing gay sex you need some way to say that you have these attractions but you're definitely not doing gay sex I definitely and that's not. where same sex attracted comes in so if someone says they're same sex attracted that means they're gay but they're definitely not actually doing it um there's also a recent increase in use by transphobic campaigners on social media trying to find a way of saying they're grossed out by the idea of sex with trans people so you know either way best avoided if you don't want to look really annoying
0: yeah don't and and if you're ever talking to me please don't use the phrase same-sex attracted or I will leave immediately
1: <laughs> to be fair so a lot of people who use same-sex attracted just are using it because they've been told that's the phrase you should use and because they yes I understand so I know well I'm, you I'm you telling them something. if they're talking to me don't use it are you familiar with the side a side b side x thing no i mean put it this way i've i've seen it but i don't really know what it means So these are basically shorthand, they come out of the gay Christian movement in America and it's kind of clumsy shorthand for the standard theological stances that churches or individuals adopt. And it is clumsy, but it's kind of useful. So basically it goes like this, Um, side A or affirming Christians believe that God deliberately created some people, gay, bisexual and transgender as part of the great variety of natural life on earth. They affirm God's good creation, including blessing same-sex marriages and gender transitions. okay Okay. so I B people or non-affirming believe that sexuality and gender variation are a result of the fall and they function like maybe a disability of some sort which also this has terrible implications for your disability theology but it's the way people think um so they would affirm lgbt christians humanity and their faith but expect them to uphold traditional teachings on marriage by either staying single or by marrying somebody of the opposite sex despite any lack of attraction. Okay. So you deal with it like, um, it's like, you know, being blind or being deaf or being autistic or something like that, which, you know, is bad when you think about the implications of this for blind or deaf or autistic people. Yeah, for it's, real. if the disability, you have to work with and you have to, you oh, know, it's great to, it's- to live in society
0: it's like the bible verse you shared at the beginning like who's whose sin caused this was it this guy or was it his parents isn't yeah, it is that exactly. like where did this sin come where did it come from yes he's a human and we'll hug
1: him but there's a sin here that needs to be dealt yeah. with to be fair they're not blaming it on an individual sin they're saying it's a result of the fall we're in a yeah, sure. world some stuff is broken and that we're part of that brokenness by being gay and we have to you know live right with that brokenness and not give in to temptation but, so yeah. that's that's their teaching so what's side x then so side x is christians who believe being lgbt is a choice and you should repent of it or you're going to go to hell and they honestly have no idea what they're talking about and they cause very very serious damage so i know (laughs) i know you you have quite a strong feeling against side b theology but i've got i just know that i don't know very many people who have come from an evangelical background who are side a christians who haven't come via side b
0: yeah no that's that's and i think
1: you know especially if you've come from a side x place where people have told you that that, you know you need to stop being gay or you're going to go to hell actually side b is a port in a storm it's a safe place and a refuge there's also a whole bunch of christians who are genuinely actually called by god to celibacy and if that's you brilliant you know if you've genuinely heard that from god not some preacher trying to control your life then go for it absolutely yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it's a, you know, there's a there's a large proportion of people who will hold side B theology and it's not unhealthy for them or it's a, it's a place they may move through on the way to side A. And, you know, I don't want to suggest that anybody has to move away from side B theology. It's, it's the place a lot of people end up at because you read the bible you weigh it up you think what's right for you you think what's right for any potential partner you have that negotiation between you and god and that's where you finish and that's fine and some people will end up at side a and thinking no actually god wants me to have a relationship but god will bless that relationship and that's also okay I can yeah anything within that as long as you, you're you know you're loved by god you know you you're you're faith is valid your choices are valid and how you negotiate things between you god and your partner is valid then that i'm okay in that ballpark yeah no repent or go to hell they can go jump in the sea
0: yeah no absolutely i mean i i would have helped side b theology for you know most of my teenage years if you like because that was the kind of church i went to and that's what they taught yeah. me you know i was taught at church i said about freddie mercury i was taught at church that freddie mercury died because god punished him for being gay because you shouldn't be gay Mm. so you know i i definitely held those views myself um and whilst also trying to reconcile my own sexuality to that so that
1: was fun we'll talk about that another time um along with the side x and side b thing goes the whole idea of conversion therapy
0: Oh, good grief. Go on.
1: Yeah. Now, this is in the news at the moment a lot because there are very vocal and looking quite positive campaigns are actually banning it. Mm. Um, so conversion therapy is any action decided to change someone's orientation to straight or their gender identity to cisgender. So this this is the whole gamut from subtle guilt trips to, you know, go away and pray about it through prayer ministry, deliverance, exorcisms, to family therapy, residential programs, and at the extreme end you've got violence, sexual assault and rape. The vast majority of attempts at conversion therapy are extremely damaging to people's self-image, and their relationships with their family, and their ability to trust God or the church ever again. So the UK government has promised to ban conversion therapy. The Northern Ireland government actually put plans in place to be in line with similar plans in the Republic of Ireland, but we still have to see the UK government do anything about it. Um, Honestly, I would say if anybody's trying to conversion therapy, you run a mile. I don't know of any, I don't really know of any stories where that was positive
0: yeah well let's just talk about self-conversion therapy as well just for a minute let's just touch on that as well because you know we i don't know if you've been there i certainly have where where you know you've you've tried to do it on yourself and make yourself straight and pray pray the gay away yeah you know and that can be done in in church with somebody else praying for you but Mm -hmm. you know i and so many other like um queer christians that i know will have been through that themselves and just
1: tried yeah. to do it themselves because they well, did. yeah jane ozanne did a helpful article this week where she talked about phases of, of conversion therapy um, phase one is when you're trying to do it to yourself and you're going home and reading the bible more and praying a lot and sticking bible verses around your mirror and trying to you know convince yourself you're not really gay then phase yeah. two is when you get your church leader or somebody to pray with you and do the whole prayer ministry and maybe a bit of mild exorcism and then stage three is like professional services so that's when you book into your residential or you know go and visit this guru who's supposed to be able to fix you. The thing is that all of it, they're looking for something that isn't there. It's like you know, all the bad therapy you see in movies where somebody's trying to dig up some reason why somebody's screwed up and asking all these questions and just it all comes down to family stuff in their minds so then they're trying to create this problem in your family and if your family isn't there they can't the whole process is basically dig stuff up until you find something bad and then blame it for everything that ever happened to you and you know if you had a really if you had a bad relationship there's obviously material there to work with and digging that up again isn't necessarily the best thing to do in a environment that isn't good therapy good therapy should help you to face those things and and walk through them and be healthy at the end of it. But where there's a preconceived end to the therapy, it's never going to be healthy. And if your family was good, it can wreck people's relationships. Yeah. You have to focus on all the bad stuff and forget the fact that actually your mum and dad were brilliant and did everything they could for you. Um, Yeah. It's Yeah, It's just, it's flawed from beginning to end and doesn't work.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I've never been in that kind of more formal setting of conversion therapy but certainly you know stage one and stage two according to james really good that was a great article I I I read that as well I think james james blog we could we could promote that a little bit it's called via media right it is and that's that's definitely worth having a look at because she has lots of guest writers who write all sorts of interesting um articles on there so go and have a go and have a read. <laughs> right then I'm really looking forward to doing this journey with you Rach through this course. Course is so a course is a strong word through this. Course step. is a
1: very strong word. Yeah, do we blather?
0: Yeah, through these next few episodes, I'm really looking forward to doing this with you. Hit us up on Twitter. We're there as at RainbowPod UK, or if you'd rather drop us an email, you can use When the Rainbow Appears at gmail.com. That's When the Rainbow Appears at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Excellent so I'll see Thank- you next time yeah thanks everyone for joining us and we will see you next time subscribe and you will get the episodes uh, a notification when they go up